Well, happy Father's Day once again. Good morning, New Life Manitou Springs. Good morning. Good to see all of you. We're going to have a sermon today that is going to get into the Word of God. It's going to be in 1 John, and it's kind of a, it's a good sermon that will be, you know, partially having to do with families. And so a good Father's Day sermon, a good study of the Word of God. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about our kids camp, because it was spectacular. Spectacular! Last week on Monday, a whole bunch of volunteers, I think throughout the week. I mean, if you look around, I don't even, it was, it was amazing to see about 30 volunteers on a Monday morning ready to check in kids and to serve lunches. It was absolutely incredible. Our church rallied. It was wonderful. Somehow the word got out that we were putting on this camp, which is what we had hoped to do, but we weren't sure that we were going to reach the city, but we reached the city and kids told other kids, parents told other parents, Facebook, there was some some advertisements that we did for like $3.99 that took off and it was quite spectacular. So kids that don't even go to our church, kids that don't normally come to church, came in to our church and you all, the volunteers, we welcomed them, we fed them. Every day we had about a, a 10 minute little sermon. I, I did one of them, Daniel in the tech booth with the hat on, he did one of them. Ben did one of them, Jay did one of them. I think my favorites was Ben and Jay's because Ben had this, or he did have the whiteboard and drew all these really cool uh, diagrams and people. Jay had this lesson about staying on the Lord's path. And then she had this like a little fold out piece of art that said, now, if you go on this path, it folds off and it just kind of looked like a dark wooded area. And the other one was like a dry desert area. But, and she told the kids at any point, you could always get back on the right track. That was a great message. And it was just something that stuck with me. I mean, it's a message for the kids. And here I am as the pastor, like thinking about it all weekend, like, oh, the Lord is good. And I could always get back on the Lord's path. And he always loves me. And he's always following me, even when I make bad decisions. Great lesson, Jay well done. It was an incredible camp. The last day was just totally fun. I just, I loved how the team, Ashley and Allie and the Wallers, and I think about all the volunteers that just scrambled, the Duncans on the last day because it started raining when we were supposed to be having our big festival and we just scrambled around and I just, it was just so much fun and it was meaningful. And I said this last week as a preface that we're not just going to have fun. It's going to be a meaningful time for the kids. And I remember as a kid, like going to to summer camps, we called it VBS, Vacation Bible School, back in my day. But I remember some of those moments as a kid, like really deciding, like, do I believe in God? Is this real? Is God really watching over me? Does God really love me? And as a little kid, I remember making some of those early decisions towards the Lord that would be, you know, the fruit of that would be in my days of high school when I committed my life to Christ. So, All that to say, uh, there's a little video. Did you already see the video? Was it playing already? That we have a little video. Uh, We'll just kind of play it while I'm talking of like, this is some of the early uh, um, um, morning days, uh, earlier in the week where we had less kids. We had more and more kids all throughout the week. But my wife wrote this song and you're listening to it now. It's about He Loves Me. As you can hear, it's, it's incredible. We'll post this video online so you can watch it. But it was, it was just an incredible camp. It was wonderful. The kids loved it. They heard the gospel. And, and there's been, there's some of the drawings he did. That's what I was talking about. And kids were it just intrigued by the gospel and that God loves them. And 
just the amount of fun we had was wonderful. So would you just give a round of applause for all the volunteers that worked tirelessly to, to put this whole week on, all kinds of the games we did. It was absolutely incredible. <laughs> we had a water day, I'm trying to think. Oh, just the, the crafts that we did each day, the craft went along with the sermon. And so it was the whole day was like this theme of like God loves you and that you are a work of art. So it was incredible. But are you at this point now ready to study the word of God? Yes or no? Okay, good. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it to 1 John. We're in this series of 1 John, and we're going to talk today about 1 John. I have a guest speaker, no stranger to us at New Life Manitou, because she has spoken here before. She often does the offering moments. And I would never have someone in the pulpit that isn't truly called and truly gifted to speak, to present the Word of God, not just as a good speaker, but someone who could expound upon the Word of God and teach us from a deep part of what the Word of God is saying to us. And what's amazing, I've already heard this sermon because she preached it uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I was like, she was already scheduled to preach, and and I was like, let's go out of order. You got to preach that sermon when you come to Manitou because it's anointed, it's it's a message that our people need to hear. Uh, And so today, uh, would you welcome a poet? Would you welcome someone who really knows the Word of God? Would you welcome someone who I don't know personally, any other person that reads more. I know a lot of people, and I know a lot of readers because I read a lot, but you read more than anybody else that I know. She's a wordsmith. She's prophetic. Would you welcome to the stage Jordan Victoria Lewis? Oh, Oh, hello, my friends. So good to be with y'all this morning. Um, Like Joe said, my name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors at the New Life Friday Night Congregation. So anytime I get to be here at Manitou with y'all, it is always so fun just to get to drive a little 25 minutes up the road um, just to hang out here. That's awesome. Um, I'm actually going to go ahead and read the scripture, um, and then we'll get into the word right away. So if y'all are able, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? This is 1 John 4. We are in verses 7 through 12. And it reads like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are love, and thank you, God, for your love. God, thank you that your love is extravagant and lavish. You loved us before we were even conceived in our mother's wombs. You loved us when we were far from you. You loved us when we didn't give a thought of you at all. You loved us even when we said yes to you and then couldn't quite figure out how to live that out. God, your love is perfect. 
your love is eternal. Your love is all we need. God, I pray that that spirit, your spirit of love, would be what binds us together, what connects us to you. May we have a deeper revelation of your love, myself included. God, I thank you that your spirit is already here and your spirit is already ready to connect with us so that we may identify deeper as your sons and daughters. We thank you for this, Lord. We receive your love. I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Thank you for allowing me to do so. Um, and we are in 1 John 4. And the thing that I love about this series, 1 John, is it's kind of very familial, this, this letter. So as we're reading through the scriptures, y'all have been studying, John is one of the elders in the church at this time. He was one of the old guys walking around, who knows, maybe he was 60, 70, 80, I don't know. But he's um, with the church at a time where all of the people are kind of newer to the faith. They, they are trying to figure out, okay, we're believers, we're called Christians, what does that mean? How do we kind of sort this thing out? And so John writes this letter to the church basically as a way to say, hey, I know that y'all are you know, trying to figure things out. I'm going to help you. Let me give you some fatherly advice. Let me give you some wisdom. And I call it a family letter even though there is no way that John was related to all the people he was writing to. But if you do family the way I do family, you know that family is pretty fluid as a term. So for example, for me, I have an Aunt Brenda. So if Aunt Brenda were to walk in here right now and sit you know, in one of the chairs, and I'd say, this is my Aunt Brenda, I will have y'all know she is not actually my aunt, she is my cousin. What happened is my mom has 65 first cousins. My grandma was one of 13. I know, huge, huge family, yes. So growing up, it would have been kind of weird for me to call my you know, cousin Brenda, just Brenda, when I'm two and three and four and five, and she's the same age as my mom. So over time, we just called her Aunt Brenda, even though she's not actually my aunt. Um, and the same goes you know, for Aunt Dee Dee, Aunt Pam, Uncle Gary, Uncle Barry. They are not actually my aunts and uncles. They are all my cousins, but they are of my mom's generation, so I just you know, call them aunt and uncle. If I were to introduce you to my Uncle Charles, he is also not my uncle at all, and no, he is not my cousin. Uncle Charles is one of my father's friends who I love so much, I decided to adopt him against his will as my uncle, so I call him Uncle Charles. Or if I introduce you to my brother Blake, if you were to meet Blake, we look nothing alike, we talk nothing alike, we don't come from the same family, anything like that. Blake and his wife Liv are two of my best friends, so one day I just decided to elevate them from friend status to sibling status, even though you know there wasn't a consultation. I just said, you know what? We're family now. That, that's how, how I operate, right? So for me, thinking about this letter of 1 John, John is an elder in the church. He's a father in the church. And so he's looking at these people, these young people who are um, you know, trying to figure things out. And there, there's just this fatherly, familial warmth where he says, you know what, I want to make sure that y'all know what we've signed up for and how we live this life in Christ. And as I read through the letter, it kind of reminds me um, of, of some of my family, where in my family, um, on my dad's side specifically, I have an uncle named Uncle Herbert. And yes, he is my actual uncle, one of my dad's <laughs> brothers, in case you're wondering. 
So my Uncle Herbert um, is, is the oldest boy. My dad's one of six. So my Uncle Herbert's um, one of the older siblings. And as, um, as the older generation has passed away, my, both my grandparents have passed away. Um, my you know, great aunts and uncles have started passing away. Uncle Herbert has kind of taken on this mantle, so to speak, to say, you know what, I am kind of one of the last um, of, of uh, this generation. I'm getting older in years, and I don't want our family legacy to die. I don't, I don't want, um, you know, as we keep passing on, you know, we're getting older, um, I don't want the Lewis legacy to, to go anywhere. So it's like, how can I connect our family? How can I um, make sure that our family knows who we are and where we come from? And so my Uncle Herbert, it's funny because if he is one of the loudest people you could ever meet. He has an opinion about everything, always talking about the Carolina Panthers or Carolina barbecue with his gold teeth and just doing whatever. You know, it's like my Uncle Herbert is what I define as a character, so to speak. But it's been really cool over the past, I would say about five years or so, just for him to kind of feel this sense in his heart of, oh, I, I want to make sure our family knows, you know, who we are. So as a matter of fact, on June 10th, this was just over a week ago, Uncle Herbert got all the family together. So my parents flew in from here. I have an aunt and uncle who flew in from Texas. All the North Carolina family, that's where we're from, um, got together just to talk about what's our family identity, what's our legacy, and how do we maintain this? So when I think about First John, I'm kind of thinking about my own family and thinking about, oh, how do we maintain family legacy? And I think that's what's happening here. But what's also cool about this letter, and y'all will get here in the next you know, couple of weeks as um, Joe continues to preach, but at first, John, who I'm gonna call Uncle Johnny from here on out, <laughs> Uncle Johnny is kind of like, uh, you know, oh, dear children, beloved, y'all are so great, I love y'all. You know, it's just very like, warm and familial and great. But the other thing, there's kind of this underlying tone of, but let me tell you something about this life we're living and let me tell you the truth. Because any good family member or any good friend or any good mentor in your life doesn't just stroke your ego and doesn't just cuddle you and snuggle with you and make sure that you're all happy. A good family member, a good father, a good mom, a good pastor like Joe and Erica, like they will also tell you the truth in love. And that's what Uncle Johnny is doing in this letter. So by this point in the letter in chapter four, um, you know, Uncle Johnny kind of starts out like God is light and confess your sins and you know, it's all wonderful and great. Then he kind of starts turning up the heat a little bit. There's this phrase um, that says, if you want to boil a frog, put it in cold water and slowly turn up the heat because a frog is no dummy. It's like, you're not trying to kill me. So if you try to put it in hot water, it's going to jump out. But if you put it in cold water, it's unsuspecting and doesn't know that it's about to be frog legs, I guess. Um, and so that's kind of what, what's happening here where it's throughout the letter, um, Uncle Johnny is kind of turning up the heat. So by the time we get to chapter four, which to me is kind of the hinge point of the letter, Uncle Johnny is basically saying, okay, I need y'all to know who you are. I need you to know why we believe what we believe. And really what he's doing in this part of the letter is giving us um, kind of some fuel and a path to walk as we are, the, the church he's writing to, but also us today, as we're kind of walking um, a path for Christ. 
So let's get back into the scripture here in verse seven. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Right away, Uncle Johnny gives us the family identity, which is love. And he does it in two ways where he tells us we are born of God and we know God. We are born of God and we know God. So the first is being born of God. Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the movie Black Panther. It is one of my favorite movies. If you haven't seen it, I would 10 out of 10 recommend. But in the movie Black Panther, there's a main character named T'Challa, um, who is also known as the Black Panther. He's a superhero. And in the movie, um, T'Challa is Prince T'Challa, and he is heir to the throne of a kingdom called Wakanda. It's a made-up kingdom. And in the movie, um, T'Challa's father, King T'Chaka, passes away. And unlike here, you know, um, in our, our day and age, where, you know, Queen Elizabeth passes away, King Charles, you know, was the successor to the throne. Um, it, it wasn't like that in the movie. In the movie, the kingdom of Wakanda was made up of five different tribes. And for T'Challa to be able to become king of the throne after his father passes away, he did have a right to contend for the throne, but he didn't just get to pop up there and say, my dad's gone and now I'm the king. He had to fight for his right to be the king. And so the, the three, there were three other tribes of the five who wanted him to be the king, so they said, we, we will not fight you. But there was another tribe that said, we don't like you, we didn't like your dad, so we're gonna fight, right? So the Black Panther, you know, um, T'Challa, had his superhero powers stripped away so that way he could fight man-to-man -man fair and square. So they're in this, you know, ritual combat, him and this opposing tribal leader. And everyone is stressed out. If y'all have seen the movie or watched the movie, you will also be stressed out because you're like, no, I want him to be king. I don't want this other guy to be king. He's a jerk, right? So they're fighting, and it looks like T'Challa is going to lose. And it's, you're all stressed, and everyone is stressed. Um, but then the queen mother, um, T'Challa's mom, played by Angela Bassett, says, shouts out, tell him who you are. Tell him who you are. Now, this was the Black Panther. He was a superhero, you know, like out in the global world, right? But when she says, tell him who you are, he doesn't say, I'm the Black Panther and I'm better than you, back up. He doesn't list off all of his accomplishments. He doesn't list off, I'm a global diplomat. He doesn't say, um, oh, I'm better than you, nothing like that. He says, I am Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka, and lets out this battle cry and ends up winning the tribal ritual and becomes king of Wakanda and everyone is deeply relieved, right? And so in the same way, when Uncle Johnny is saying in these verses, you're born of God, you know God, God is love. If you, if you know God, you know love. It's, it's kind of him saying to us, tell him who you are. Tell the enemy who you are. Tell temptation who you are. Tell fear who you are. Tell your disappointment who you are. Tell your past who you are. And it's not all the accomplishments of our lives that Uncle Johnny wants us to remember. He wants us to remember, first of all, that we are sons and daughters of God, we're born of God, and we know God. And the other thing, too, is before we were anything, 
we were family. That is really kind of the crux of these verses, where it's before we were good or bad, before we were right or wrong, before we were rich or poor, before we had discouragement in our lives, before the abuse, before the divorce, before the tension, before the pain, before the discouragement, we belonged to the Lord. And even in all the pain of our lives, we still belong to the Lord. So family is our first identity. And we are not born of our own will, but we are born of God's will. So that's the first part. Then there's this other word to know. Last time um, I had the privilege of preaching here, I talked about the Greek word gnosko, which means to know through experience. And that's the same word that's used here. So I think about my nephew, who, yes, is my actual nephew named Micah. Um, he, I got to visit him a couple of weeks ago um, in North Carolina. So he was wearing this T-shirt that was like a Biggie Smalls T-shirt. Um, and if y'all don't know, Biggie Smalls was a rapper in the 90s. So my nephew was 13 years old. So I'm like, how he knows about rappers from the 90s, I have no idea. But he was wearing this T-shirt. And I said, oh, Micah, your, your shirt's so cool. Biggie Smalls is so awesome. And he looks at me and he says, oh, Auntie, you know Biggie Smalls? And I was like, yeah, you know, like, I know who he is. He's like, name one song, you know, trying to challenge me. I'm like, first of all, I didn't come here to be challenged by a 13-year-old, but also, I don't know any songs. I just like your T-shirt, right? And then he proceeds to name five songs. And I'm like, where are you getting this information from, right? But it's kind of like the same thing where my nephew wasn't satisfied with just the, oh, your, your T-shirt's cool for me. He wanted to know do you really know who this is? Do you know the songs, right? And so what Uncle Johnny is saying to us is, yes, we are born of God. We belong to God, period, full stop, no matter what. And also to step into the fullness of our identity and the wholeness of our identity, there is love that is part of our expression when we belong to God and when we know God. And so God is love. We are the beloved, and it's kind of like a seed that bears fruit, right? Where it's, if I had an apple seed, you know that if I were to plant it in the soil, even here in Colorado, it would grow into an apple tree. That's what we expect. So in the same way, okay, we are born of God, we know God, God is love, and therefore our manifestation of our lives, how we show up in the world, is through love. And what's powerful to me being here at Manitou specifically, some of y'all know New Life has eight different congregations, and I can't mind my own business, so I wander around to all the different <laughs> congregations. Um, and what's really special about y'all and unique about y'all is that there is this deep-rooted community, this deep sense of family, and this really beautiful way that y'all take care of each other and surround each other that I think is really extraordinary and a special anointing and call from the Lord. And even thinking about how y'all had kids camp this week, where it's there's such a powerful legacy here. There's something really beautiful that Joe and Erica have started here that the Lord, I know, wants to continue. And so in thinking about this family letter from 1 John and thinking about the Manitou family, how y'all are, I think there is a really divine connection here that's really special. And with Uncle Johnny, he tells us Okay, this is the family identity. This is the family way. And this is a man who has seen the cross, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. He was around when Jesus was bebopping around, flipping over tables, you know, telling the Pharisees to relax, you know, like healing the lepers, doing the things. Like this, John saw it with his own eyes. 
And so the weight and the authority of what he has lived through comes through in these five verses in verse 7 through 12. And what's also special is that he uses the word love 13 times, 13 times in five verses. That is some serious repetition, right? And it's kind of hard to catch the significance of this. Um, In our day and age, love is kind of a soft, sticky, sweet word, Um, and we use the same word for everything. So especially for someone like me, I'm very expressive. So I'm like, I love this and I hate that. And it's not that serious, but I just can't help but, you know, be extreme. So for me, I'll say things like I love dried mangoes and I love my sister and I love my friends, Joe and Erica. And also I love going to the art museum. And obviously I don't mean the same word for love with all the things, but in English, we have really one word that we use. But in the Greek, it's not true. In the Greek, there are four different types of words for love. So there is eros, there's romantic love. Um, So think any love song ever, you know, like think of your favorite band and like their love songs and that's, that's eros, that's romantic love. There's also storge, which is parental love. There's phileo, which is brotherly love, like think Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And there is agape, which is divine love. And so our love today, um, you know, kind of the same word for everything, it's kind of like white chocolate, which I have a personal issue with. I think someone said, I think there's going to be someone named Jordan who's going to be in the world and she's going to hate this. So I'm going to make it because she won't like it, you know. Um, But it's like in white chocolate, I, I have to give it some credit. It does have a little bit of cacao in it, but so little that it's kind of like mostly cream and sugar. I'm like this is not chocolate. Like this, this is so diluted and it stresses me out completely. It stresses me out. If you like white chocolate, bless you, more for you because I won't eat any of it. Um, but the, the love that Uncle Johnny is talking about is not this white chocolate type of love. It is the type of chocolate I love, which is dark chocolate. I'm talking 75%, 80%, 85%. That is my, can I get a witness? Anyone? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so it, it's this um, rich, deep, um, you know, we're talking like cacao. Like if you've ever had like just straight up 100%, it like burns the back of your throat. Like that's what he's talking about with this agape love. And agape love is different from Eros, different from Storge, different from Phileo, because agape love is the love that motivated God to send his son to die for us on the cross. It's the love that motivated Jesus while we were yet sinners to say, you know what, these people, they are just gonna do me wrong and they're gonna do my dad wrong and they're gonna mess up, but I'm gonna set my face like flint toward the cross because it is good for them and I want to be united to them. It's the same love that Uncle Johnny is expecting us to be motivated by and to be filled by. That is the love that Uncle Johnny uses 13 times in these five verses. And so we're kind of figuring out, okay, Uncle Johnny's telling us, you know, we, we are born of God, we know God, we got to love each other. All this seems kind of intense, like how are we supposed to take this? But think about all of the time that y'all have spent together as a congregation, serving together, worshiping together, in Bible studies, in volunteer groups, in meal groups, being here. If, if you say something to each other to correct one another, 
Or if there has been tension or something that, you know, there are married, married couples in the room or siblings in the room or friends in the room where y'all have had a moment of, hey, like, let's come back together here. There is so much love and tenderness there because you want to be connected and you want to be together. It is not a, I don't like you, get out of my face. I mean, maybe there is that and I hope reconciliation for you. But overall, it's, it's a, no, we're committed to doing life together and we're committed to being connected to each other. And that's something really special here. And that's the same spirit that Uncle Johnny is, is writing this in. So what else does Uncle Johnny tell us? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So he's telling us again, the family way is love. And love is not just a concept Love is a person. And in our case, as believers or as soon-to-be believers, if you aren't yet, love is the person of Jesus. So when we think about love and we think about the way to live our lives, we can model our lives after Jesus and after what he did, and that's what we're going for. And for some people in the room, that's kind of um, a, a difficult uh, thing. It's your lives have been hard or people haven't treated you well or there has been a lot of frustration. Maybe you've been frustrated with yourself where you're, you know, I've been trying to live this way and it's just so impossible. But this verse is really powerful. I'm going to read it again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him so that we might live through him. This little chunk is saying, we do not have to rely on our own power. We do not have to rely on our own strength. We do not have to rely on our own willpower in order to live a life of love. We get to draw on the strength of Jesus. We get to draw on the example of Jesus. We get to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is kind of like, our fuel, our gasoline, if you will, that we, that we operate from. So it's not our own doing. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our own way. We get to rely on God. We get to rely on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And from that power, that's what courses through our spirits, through our souls, in order to live this life of love, which is really beautiful. And let's keep going. Verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or another way to put it is we didn't start this, God did. We didn't start this, God did. For those of you in the room who are believers, um, who have accepted Jesus in your heart, it's really kind of confusing to, to think about, okay, we didn't start this, God did but I'm the one who raised my hand when I was seven and I'm the one who shows up to church every week and I'm the one who reads my Bible and volunteers and does all the things. Like, aren't I the one perpetuating this this Christian life because of what I'm doing? But we have to remember what the source of that is. We may be motivated to do those things, but it's not because it's in us. Like we were born into sin until we choose to live a life with Jesus, right? So our definition of love doesn't come from the things that we do. Our definition of love and the life of love can only come from God, 
no matter how young we were when we got saved, no matter all the things we've done since, it's only motivated by the spirit. That's the source. I think about it like this. Cute little babies, right? They're born into the world. A friend of mine just had a baby three days ago, right? Her little baby girl is brand new to the world, okay? That little baby girl doesn't know anything yet. All she knows is, I'm tired, I'm hungry, but I don't have words for that yet, so I'm just gonna scream and cry. You know, poor thing, right? So babies come into the world, they're beautiful, they're all innocent, they're so sweet, but they, they don't know anything at all, right? They didn't ask to be here, they just showed up, you know? And they have to learn how to, how to feed themselves. They have to learn how to walk eventually. They have to learn how to, how to talk. And they, they do that by imitating us. And in the same way that little babies will imitate us, once we were all babies, we imitated our parents or whoever raised us, and that's how we learned. That's kind of the mindset we have when we're looking at a life of love, when we're looking at what does it mean to be the family of God, and love is the, the standard, is the way that we're thinking about things. We get to be childlike little children and imitate God in the way of love. And it's important for us to know, okay, we didn't start this, God did, because it keeps us not just humble, where God isn't trying to, you know, like, put us down and Uncle John isn't trying to say, don't remember, don't forget, you suck, like too bad, you know, that's not, that's not what's happening here. What's happening is it's so easy to lose perspective. It's so easy to lose focus. And it could be, you know, very noble to say, oh, I genuinely love God and I genuinely want to live a life, you know, where I'm following the way of love. And there may be some strength there, you know. Some of you may naturally be prone to being good and doing the right thing. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't have that button. So I'm glad that the Lord said, let me just help you out um, because otherwise I would be a menace to society, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, so even for those of you who are naturally wired to do the right thing, unlike me, it, it's easy when you don't have God as your source to kind of get a teensy bit off kilter, to get a little, like one degree off trajectory, which initially, you know, isn't that big of a deal, but over time can really put you in a place or in a way that you don't mean to be. Like, think about the Pharisees. They had a real heart to observe the laws of God and to follow God. But because they thought they were their source, they kind of got off track, some major off track, and really became legalistic and religious in a way that they didn't intend. Or there's another way to go where it's, oh, well, I'm the worst and I'll always be the worst. God can't even help me. And then you turn a whole other way and really um, end up in darkness that the Lord doesn't want for your life. But when you remember, I didn't start this, God started this. And even before I was born, even before you know um, the foundations of the world, like God saw me, knew that I would be here and already provided a way for me to be connected to him and live a life of power that comes from him that is really um, an extraordinary gift. And so that's what these verses are, where it's not, um, you know, y'all are the worst or don't forget. It's a, hey, remember your source. Remember the perspective. And so if we didn't start this, what's our response? Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 
Or later on in chapter four, it says this in verse 19 and 21. We love because he first loved us. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The standard of love is the cross. We are commissioned and commanded to live a cross-shaped life. The standard of love is the cross. We are commissioned and commanded to live a cross-shaped life. It's a life shaped like this. It's a life shaped like this. Think about a cross-shaped life. Your head is toward heaven. Your arms are outstretched toward others. Your heart is forward to the world and your feet are planted in the here and now. Your head toward heaven, arms outstretched to others, heart forward, feet planted in the here and now. And it's really easy in our day and age, I'll speak for myself, it's easy for me to live like this. My head down, I'm always thinking, always trying to figure things out. My arms are crossed because I don't, you know, sometimes people hurt my feelings and so I close off and then my heart, I don't wanna, I don't wanna get hurt and I'm looking down and my fear to going every which way to try to settle my heart and soul. It's easy to kind of live in a little whirlwind. It's easy to live closed off. And think about, there are real situations in our lives. Some of you are, have difficult marriages where it's like, I don't know about my spouse or I don't know about my ex and they are really hurtful. Like, and that's all I can think about. And my heart is going to be closed off to them. And there is something to be said about safety. So rightfully so. And also, it's, are you giving them to the Lord in the tragedy of that situation? It's okay, God, they hurt me and I'm not safe with them. I give them to you. Also give me wisdom for how to navigate this, right? There's a both and. Head forward, heart out. You don't have to live like this. Live in wisdom, live in peace, seek wise counsel, but your heart doesn't have to be closed off, right? Or think about um, some of you have businesses or um, are trying to figure out stuff with work, and it's easy to kind of live every which way because you're trying to figure things out and trying to move around and trying to, you can be planted in the goodness of God. You can be planted in the strength of God. You can be planted in the love of God. Some of you may be concerned with, okay, well, you know, people have hurt me in the past and I've tried to help other people, but it hasn't really gone that well. So I'm going to live like this with my arms, you know, closed. I'm just going to protect my four and no more, right? That is not what Jesus did. I understand that way of thinking and I'm tempted to live that way as well. But Jesus lives like this and through the power of what he's done, we are compelled, not just gently suggested. We are compelled to live like this. And it's, I mean, y'all are already coming to church in Manitou. That is a big deal. You could be anywhere else. You could be doing anything else. You could be caught up in any other way of living. But y'all have chosen to be here. Or those of you who are watching online, you could have been watching something else on Netflix. Like, but you're choosing to engage you might as well go all the way. Like you are already doing something so extraordinary and it may not feel like a big deal to you, but in our time, choosing a life with Jesus is a really big deal. And for us to do that with fullness and do that with strength, the only way to do that is by living like the cross, like how Jesus did. When I think about a cross-shaped life, I think about my grandmother. 
Now, my dad's mom, <clears throat> she uh, was a single mom, raised six kids on her own. And my grandmother was a tobacco sharecropper. So for those of you who don't know what sharecropping is, it's like you have a little piece of land, you work 12, 14, 16-hour days, and that is it. You know, you don't make much, you don't really own anything. It's backbreaking labor for, for very little. And my dad, his first memories when he was five years old are of picking tobacco in the fields with my grandmother. Like, that's, that's their life. They grew up in pretty intense poverty. Um, so I'm talking like outhouse. They didn't have heat in the winter. My dad would say that he and two of his brothers would sleep three to a bed. And it would be so cold in the winters that sometimes they would have to sleep with their coats on, with their hats on, with their socks on, just to be able to keep warm. Like that's where my family comes from. So it's, I think about a cross-shaped life though, and I think about my grandmother, even though she lived in obscurity, she lived in poverty, she, she didn't have a lot at all. But John 15, 13 says, no greater love has anyone than this, than to lay down their life for their friends. And my grandmother lived her life for her six kids. And those are the kids who got together a week ago to talk about her legacy and talk about how to honor her. And there are those of you who are wondering, oh, how am I gonna make it? Or will I always be obscure? Or will I always struggle? Or will I always have this tension in my life? And I don't know the answer to that. I, I hope that there would be relief for you, tangible, real relief. Um, but I do know that even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of a difficult life, the power of Jesus is still there to fuel you with his love and with his strength. Amen? Awesome. Will y'all stand with me? And the worship team can come back up. As I pray for us, um, I really want y'all to be um, filled with a different type of hope and a different type of strength because we really don't have to do this life alone and we really don't have to be motivated by anything other than um, love. Love is the most powerful force in the universe because God is the most powerful force in the universe. Love is more powerful than fear. Light is more powerful than darkness. Hope is more powerful than despair. And that is the life that Jesus is inviting us into. And that's what in these verses in 1 John, where it's, okay, we're born of God. We know God. We are motivated and fueled by this love that comes from God. And that's um, what I want to encourage and pray over us today. So Lord, thank you um, for these extraordinary people here. God, these are people you see and you love and you care for. These are people you adore. So God, I pray that we would receive your love in a deep way. God, I pray that you would infuse my friends with power from your spirit. And God, I pray that they would see how love transforms their lives. God, for those who have been fueled by fear, for those who have been fueled by a motivation for safety or security, for those who have been fueled by anger or rage, for those who have been fueled by discouragement, God, I pray that even now and as we worship, that your spirit would sweep through and that you would replace those things that have been filling our heart with the power of your love. God, I pray for those who have been turning every which way 
for those who have been closed off, for those who have had their head down. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit and by the power of love, that they would be able to live a cross-shaped life. God, I thank you for the beautiful work you are doing here in Manitou and that you are doing among this family. God, I pray that you would mark them today with a fresh power and a deep strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, we're going to receive the Lord's love by celebrating the mystery of communion. We do this every week at New Life Manitou Springs. And as I see some new faces, I want to let you know that the way we uh, receive communion is if you believe in Jesus, then you can come forward and you can receive. You're going to come towards the middle. It's a, it's a very short journey in this church, but it's a meaningful one where we come towards the middle and we walk down facing the cross. We come to his table. If you believe in him, you're invited to come. The communion servers will say Christ's body and blood for you. Would you receive it? Would you walk, keep walking back around and go back to your seat? And would you just hold the little cup? I'll come back up and we'll receive together. But as you come this morning, remember that Jesus says that we do this in remembrance of him. We do this thanking him that he's invited us to his table, that we belong. As Jordan was preaching, I just, I just couldn't help but think of this image of being at a family table together. And you belong there because you're part of the family. And God is extending this invitation. If you believe in Jesus, do you believe that you belong to him? You're invited to come. So these are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is the body of Christ for the body of Christ. Let's come forward and receive.